verses 34 through 36. Red letter words, Jesus Christ himself speaking. Do not think that I came to bring, to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Ah. Hmm. This is very counter to what many think the gospel actually is. It is something that divides. It's something that literally causes division. Something that causes conviction of sin. Something that exposes the heart of man and lays him open before a holy God. Hebrews 4.12 Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of heart. That's what the Bible does. That's what the scripture just says for the word of God, not for the word of man, not for the idea of the preacher, not for his concept, agenda, or opinion. The word of God cuts you open and exposes you before God. That's what does it. It's not the, the skillful wielding of the Word of God by man, it's the Word of God. So what are you entrusted with? Obeying it and preaching it and teaching it. Using it even when it's painful. Using it even when people hate you for it. Why? Because in that you will prove that you are the most loving human being in their life. That you, unlike any other person in their life, their friend circle, or even their own biological family, willing to step out and be hated by them because you loved their soul so much and they loved it so much. But the exact same charge will be turned against you. Look how unloving he is. Look how unkind he is. Look how uncaring he is about me and my condition or my family or my situation. He's so mean to me. Do you mean that he was mean to you because he just gave you some Bible verses to explain the fact that you're literally fighting against God? You mean that he actually stepped out to try and share with you scripture so that you might see the word of God, repent of your sins and believe? Excited about um, what an awesome day this is. Father, thank you, Lord, again for Christ. God, help us to see him in the message. God, help us to see him in worship. Help us to see him in everything that we do, Father, that our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our ears would be attentive to the Christ. Father God, I pray that you would do what you're going to do. And Lord, when it seems impossible sometimes, God, when it seems difficult, uh, when it seems stressful, when it seems hurtful, we know for a fact that Jesus dealt with more. We have not a, a great high priest who is not unaware of our suffering or cannot be empathetic or sympathetic to our suffering. And so we thank You, Lord, that You sent Christ Jesus before us. God, that He was the promised Messiah to take upon Himself the burden of sin and free us, God, from the power of sin and the devil. God, be here in this place. God, electrify our worship. Draw us into closer communion with You. Lord, it's in your name we pray, and according to your will we ask. Amen.
Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And when we look at what, again, understanding that this is a charge, this is a gospel charge to preachers and teachers of the Word. And one of the things that I want you to see in the context here is look at, uh, look at the letters specifically. Uh, who's the letters to? Uh, who are they from? They're from Paul. So they're from the guy who used to be known as Saul, a uh, violent persecutor of the church, uh, the guy who held the coats uh, for the people who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr. So he was active, literally, in his violent opposition and persecution of the early Christian church until God got a hold of him and utterly changed his life. Now, he wrote three pastoral epistles or three pastoral letters. Uh, this is the second letter to Timothy. He also wrote one to Titus as well. And in these pastoral epistles, this is where we not only get the qualifications for deacons and elders, uh, but we also get an understanding for what the scope of a gospel ministry is. Uh, what the, what the uh, design uh, that God has inspired through the Holy Spirit to be penned at the hand of Paul, to be sent to Timothy to then be shared with us over what a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist or a deacon is to be and not be. What they are to say and what they are to not say. How they are to conduct their ministry and how not to conduct their ministry. So these are of vital importance specifically for, uh, say for example myself as a pastor, a minister of the gospel, for Tony being called into the gospel ministry. But here's, here's the other element of that. Every single one of the things that are being stated about what, a, what an elder should be or what a deacon should be, if we really boil them down, that's what Christians should be. Because if we're just going to hold our lives, uh, if we're going to hold those in light of what a, another pastor is or what another Christian is, what we're going to see is that those people fall short. But if we hold ourselves to the standard of Christ Jesus, because that's what all Christians are held to the standard of, if we hold ourselves to the standards of Christ Jesus, then we see the perfect exemplification of God's love, His care, His correction, His training, His teaching, His time, His patience, His love, so on and so forth. So, I want you to, to back away and look at, look at this text from an older pastor writing to a younger pastor. In reality, look at God writing to all of us to say, this is what I want, this is what I command, and to do anything else in and of itself would be entirely unbiblical. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1-5. through I, Paul, solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearance, or excuse me, by His appearing and His kingdom, here's what you need to do. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they, people, will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, or in some translations, to their own lusts. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Father God, that You would um, draw us into close proximity with You. Lord, that You would help us to see and understand, God, the very simple elements um, 
the very simple requirements that you've put forth, but the very exacting requirements that you've put forth for how we are to teach, how we are to preach, how we're to use your word, how we're to love others and to exemplify the love that you have for us through what we say and what we don't say, through what we do and what we don't do. God, I pray that this message would not be forgotten. Lord, I pray that this message would convict us of sin in our own lives. I pray that this message would encourage us, Lord, to strive forward in holiness, to be holy as You are holy, to be holy as Christ is holy. But God, also to filter things that we hear in the world, things that we hear from worldlings. God, through the net of Scripture. And Father, I pray that God, all the ungodly chatter that we hear in person or on the TV or on the radio or over the internet, God, all that, all that foolishness. God, that the net of the Gospel would sweep it away and we would see nothing but the truth of Your Word and nothing but good things, profitable things, noble things, beautiful things, and wonderful things. Lord God, it's in Your name we pray in accordance with Your will we ask. Amen. Uh, again, please look back in the Scripture with me. We're going to do verse by verse. So this one's a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to set this, this, the stage for this that we're not exactly going to do a three-point sermon, a two-point sermon. We're not even going to do a one-point sermon. And so, well, what, do, what, what happens with that? Why, why, do we not, why, do we, why are we not having that right now? Well, because sometimes, guess what? The Gospel message didn't have points in it. It just had teaching moments. You know, a lot of times when we're teaching our kids, we're not going to be like, hey, let me uh, explain to you what the first point of my teaching session here is going to be with you. Sometimes we're like, hey, look, this is just what you need to do. This is how you need to live. This is how you need to walk. This is, hey, don't put your hand on the stove. I don't need to give you a, 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 a you know, Roman numeral one with a dot to tell you why you shouldn't put your hand on the stove. This is just common teaching. So this is common teaching as it pertains to pastors. First, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 1. I, and remember this is Paul solemnly charging you, but here I, Jay, solemnly charge you, Tony, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, or to judge, the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Verse 1 here. I'm going to do a direct quote from John Calvin. Paul, after having spoken of the usefulness of Scripture, infers not only that all, everyone, ought to read it, but that teachers ought to administer it, which is the duty enjoined to them. Which he's basically saying, yes, everyone should read the Bible, but at the same token, you are required to teach the Bible, to instruct the Bible. Accordingly, as all our wisdom is contained in the Scriptures, and neither ought we to learn nor teachers to draw their instructions from any other source, so he who, neglecting the assistance of the living voice, and that would be the Holy Spirit, shall satisfy himself with silent Scripture, will find how grievous and evil it is to disregard that way of learning which has been enjoined by God in Christ. So what he's saying here is that if all you ever do is read the Bible by yourself, that's a bad thing. We should be reading the Bibles by ourselves. Absolutely 100%. But if that is the extent of your Christianity, that is not a good thing because you are not sitting under the teaching and preaching of the Word. Because you are not gathering together for Christian fellowship. And when we fail to follow those duties and requirements that God has very clearly put forth in His Word, we will be the ones who suffer loss, not anyone else. 
Calvin continues, Let us remember, I say, that the reading of Scripture is recommended to us in such a manner as not to hinder in the smallest degree the ministry of pastors. And therefore, let believers endeavor to profit both in reading and in hearing. For not in vain hath God ordained both of them. John Calvin. We have eyes, but we also have ears. And the only way in which we can take logical information into our bodies is either through our eyes or through our ears. Now, if you're deaf and you're, you're, you're mute, then obviously you would have to go through Braille, and that'd be a sensory perception through your fingers, per se. But God has very clearly ordained that we should sit under gospel teaching and preaching, but we should also be reading the Bibles ourselves. So here's the thing. If we're doing neither of those, what profit does that bring us? None. I want us to look back at this verse, listen to the solemnity of this first verse. Let's let these words ring in our ears as we uh, prepare to uh, catapult Tony forward on his mission into uh, the gospel ministry. We need to understand the, 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 the deep seriousness of this. Again, this, this charge is not to do something that's simply a worldly profession. Tony's not going to walk out and, and, and be a dentist. He's not going to walk out and, 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 and be a, um, you know, a cobbler or um, any, any singular worldly profession. This is the only profession that has been set aside by God Himself unto service for Himself. Now that, again, don't think in any way whatsoever that there's anything wrong with secular jobs or making a living from a secular job. We know for a fact that Paul used to make money on the side by being a tent maker. So there's nothing wrong with that. But this is one of the specific um, beautiful things that God has set aside as a ministry unto Himself. And so we should be signally, notedly, holding this as a reverent call, as an important call. It's not about doing something well uh, in a certain area of life. This charge is to carry out a certain duty in the presence of the holy God of the universe. A charge to carry forward something uh, that, that God desires and commands to be done. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that I, I command you, particular person, to, to go and, and, and be a video game designer. Or to go and be a garbage man. Now while God may have specific calls on our life outside of the Bible in His hidden will, there's no decorative will, there's no written will that we should do any secular, certain secular position. It's a charge to do specific things before the judge of the living and the dead. A charge to proclaim a message that is not your own, it's not my own, it's not our own but belongs to the one who will, as the Bible foretells, split the eastern sky and descend to this earth on the most glorious of the beasts of war. A white war horse. Or it says he will wear a white garment that is shining like the sun and a sharp two-edged sword will come out of his mouth and smite the nations and slaughter all who stand before him. This is the one to whom we are accountable to whom you are accountable, to whom I am accountable. It's a charge, as we see in 2 Timothy 4.2, to carry forward the message of this coming King by preaching the Word, being ready in season and out of season, 
Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, my question to everyone who's here today, as we look at that, as we look, just leave that one up on the screen for a second, as we look at that, is this a command or a suggestion? Is this a, you know, hey, I, I'd really like it maybe if you thought about doing this in your ministry at some point, perhaps? Maybe? No, this is the bedrock, the foundation of what you are called to do if you're called to the gospel ministry. Preach, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now I can tell you by experience, and I can tell you because we've talked personally about this, I can tell you for a fact the world and those who hate Christ will look at this as a very foolish suggestion. They will look at this as something that you should not do, and in fact, it is something they will tell you that you should never do. They will look at this as something that can simply be overlooked or not taken seriously in any way. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Look with me in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. This is just a few verses before. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture... Not just one part of it. All Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for, repu- for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God, the pastor, the teacher, the preacher, the missionary, the evangelist, what have you, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every single good work. Every good work. You see, if if this verse is actually true, if the Bible is true, uh, if if this indicates that all the contents of Scripture are theopneustos, or breathed out by God, it says we must take Him for His own Word. This is not an option. It's not, again, a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. Uh, It says that this is profitable and must be used for in the context of preaching for doing things like teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In our sermon text, it's very interesting, it says when you preach the Word, there are four things that need to happen. And again, we just looked in chapter 3. Now we're back in the sermon text in chapter 4. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and instruct. So I hope that everyone here who's just heard both of those sections, which are literally just a couple verses apart, say practically the same thing in the matter of five verses. They say almost the exact same thing in the matter of five short verses. So let me explain these words specifically out of our sermon text, and I'm going to use the semantic domain for each word in Greek. What does that mean? I'm going to render every possible meaning of the words in the underlying Greek manuscript so that everyone can understand the only possibilities of what these words actually mean. Reprove. What does that mean? To expose or show the quality of something or to convict. Reprove. Rebuke. To censure or to warn. Exhort. To urge, to implore, to encourage, or to comfort. Instruct. Here's the only possible word that can be used to teach to teach. Tony, you and, and, and true Christians will be hated when you do what Christ commands you to do. 
you will be hated by people with a fierceness because when you stand up and preach and teach, rebuke, correct, train in righteousness and in patience, people will look at you like you are the devil himself because you carry forward a message that is not your own and you carry forward a message that is very unpopular and hated by men. You'll be hated when you expose sin or show the quality of one's religion to them. You'll be hated when you warn people of their sin or the consequence of their sin. You'll be hated when you censure those who continue in sin. And remember, that is an element of rebuking. You'll be hated when you urge, implore, or encourage them to turn from that sin to Christ. And you'll be hated when you attempt to comfort people who are not Christians or who are not being drawn by God Himself to this thing called Christianity, even if you use the Bible. Fact. John 15, verses 18-20. through 20. Jesus, red letter words. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because you are different, because you are mine, because you are a Christian, because you are holy, because you were bought with a price, I chose you out of the world. Because of this world, you see, excuse me, because of this world, it hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So here's the litmus test. Here's what Jesus is essentially saying. If they hated what I have to say, they killed me. I rose on the third day. I walked around this earth for 40 more days, appeared at one time to more than 500 people, and then punched back into heaven with angels on high, and they still hated me, then when you go forward and you proclaim the message that I proclaimed, guess what they're going to do? They are going to hate you. And then when they hate you, you will realize because the message is not your own and you are simply the messenger and every culture says don't shoot the messenger, what do they want to do? Shoot the messenger. Why? Because they don't have a problem with you. They have a problem with God. They have a problem with the Bible. They have a problem with the reality of sin in their own lives. They have a problem because they don't even know God. Nor do they care about Him. Nor do they honor Him as such. In Romans 1, what does it say? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known to them, namely the the eternal God of the universe, His power is on display in the things that have been made. Look around you. Look at your human body. Look at the sun, the moon, the star, the skies, your children. uh, 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 What is it? A floret of broccoli. And you can see the thumbprint of the Creator on all of those things. Look at the grain of the wood on the pews behind you. Not one of them will be the same. Not one. Not one. The ability for man 150 years ago nearly to build this structure based on mathematics, geometry, physics, gravity, and material knowledge all point to the fact that there is a Creator. And what do people do? Raise their fists to the sky and say there is no God with their actions. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I want you to understand that this is why this is a charge. It's why it's given to you. 
It's not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion. It's a charge. It's entered into with the knowledge of this outcome. It's entered into willingly by one who was called by God, not by man, to preach the message of the Gospel because guess what? Not all are called and not all are capable. Not all are gifted for that specific ministry. I do not say that by way of superiority in any way whatsoever. I say it because it is a difficult task. And at times a painful and a lonely and a hurtful task. It's solemn. It's serious. And it's real. Let's continue in our text in 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, um, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen. Throw any one of those cats into the same ring and what are they going to do? They're going to bilk you for every dollar that they can. They're going to tell you that you're the greatest thing on the earth. They will not expose sin in your life. They will not preach the gospel. They will not teach you the things of God that actually lead to heaven. They will preach you into hell with a smile on their face and a smile on your face. Knowing that they're doing it. I watched an interview one time. My wife and I watched an interview one time of, of Joel Osteen and, and one of the reporters was actually getting a little fiery with them. And I was excited about it. They said, Why don't, are you not a pastor? Why are you not teaching people the Bible? Why are you not exposing sin in their lives? Why are you not telling them the truth about what Jesus says to do and to preach and to, and to give them? And he says, oh, no, no, no. Friend, my ministry is not in that. My ministry is focused on the love of God. My ministry is focused on the softer things of God because everyone knows they're a sinner. No. No, no, no. No, they don't. So many people are so dead spiritually they have no clue they're dead. So many people are dead spiritually have no clue that they're in sin. And so many uh, people are, are so dead spiritually that when you speak the truth of the Gospel to them, they look like animals rather than people. That's what the Bible says. That's the truth of the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. <laughs> Gospel message is not a fairy tale. It's not a feel-good message that's designed to make people feel better about themselves as they head out the door. It's not. In fact, it's quite the opposite of that, biblically speaking. It's designed to show the creature, the human, how fallen he or she actually is, how rebellious and sinful they are before a holy God. Well, wait, that's totally different than the tract that I got last week. That's because the tract that you get nine times out of ten will use verses that are entirely out of context and spit in the face of Jesus Christ Himself. Open the Bible, let's look and read what it says. Galatians 3.24 
Therefore, the law, and this would be the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, the law has become our tutor, and, and, and the tutor of people understand who, who have become or are becoming Christians, because if, if you are not, you will not care anything about the law. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But what was the law meant to bring in the beginning? It was designed to convict us of sin and show us that we fall short of the glory of God, says Romans 3. It was designed to show us that as sinners, in John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, in modern thought, in modern tradition, and in most, I'm going to air quote this, this is not real, so in most air quoted church buildings, It's the exact opposite. People will want to have their ears tickled. They will cry out and gnash their teeth at you when you proclaim biblical things to them. They will be blind and ignorant to the beautiful presentations of the grace of God and salvation in the gift of Christ Jesus Himself. Well, why? How how on earth could they ever bypass the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. That, for us, if we are actually Christians and we look at the text and we say, yeah, every, every single page of Scripture, I see the love of Jesus Christ. I see the grace of Jesus Christ. I see the glory of His redemptive power from the Old Testament into the New Testament. How on earth is it that people don't understand this? Why are they not grasping this? Why are they not comprehending what's being said to them? 1 Corinthians 2.14 1 Corinthians 2.14 But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually appraised. He can't do it. He won't do it. He doesn't want to do it because they're spiritually appraised. It's impossible for him. A natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because spiritually dead people want to be pacified and have their ears tickled. That's what our sermon text just said. That's literally what the sermon text just said. It said that they will want to elect for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. Ah, there it is. There it is. They don't want to leave death and come into spiritual life even when it's proclaimed over them. Even when it's taught. Even when it's preached. Even when they're literally reading the words on the page of the Bible itself will say, I don't want this. They might not say that with their words, but they will demonstrate that with their lives. It wasn't Lazarus who awakened himself when he came out of the tomb. Remember that. How dead was Lazarus? Four days dead. Why was he four days dead? Because the Jews believed that a spirit would stick around for three days. And so Jesus waited an extra day to make sure he was double dead before he came and performed his miracles so that nobody could say, oh yeah, his spirit just jumped back into his body and they came out of the tomb on his own, Jesus. That wasn't actually a miracle. So Jesus waited four days. and what it, well, When he comes up to the tomb, what happened? Lazarus' sister comes over and says, Lord, please don't go in there. His body, his corpse is rotting. It's dead. It is decaying and coming apart. God, it is going to be a foul stench when you enter there. Or when you roll that tomb back. Was it Lazarus who exited on his own power? 
No. Was it Lazarus who came alive on his own power? No. Was it Lazarus who even responded on his own to what Christ said? No, he was dead. He was dead. It was the power of God through the working of the Holy Spirit that awakened his deadness. So it is also the power of God that is proclaimed through the preacher, listen, fueled by the Holy Spirit and aimed by the bow of God and shot into the heart of the wicked that brings them into spiritual life. Ezekiel 37, 14, I, God, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. You know what, what, what 21st century evangelism looks like? Me, 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 I, 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 we, 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 us, us, us. You know what biblical evangelism looks like? God. Jesus, Holy Spirit. Different paradigm, different matrix, different avenue, different flight path. Why? Because it's biblical. It's not man-made. It's not some stupid, foolish system that people use to twist their own wicked hearts into a creature of their own making that they will continue to bow down and worship because they hate God. They hate Him. And, and we cringe inside a little bit when we hear someone say, people hate God. Jesus said it. John the Baptist said it. Called people broods of vipers. That's what John the Baptist said. Jesus actually threw out insults against certain people. Called Herod a fox. That was a pretty underhanded term back in first century Judea. i tell you that. Why? Because Herod was a liar, a cheat, and a fraud. So what did Jesus say? Hey, he's a fox. Sly little fox. So Jesus was throwing out insults against people who were acting out those things. Now I'm not saying that we as Christians then go out and call people names. That's not what I'm saying. But understand that there is an ever-present reality of the necessity of the teacher or the preacher actually telling people the truth. And here's what happens nine times out of ten. Why would you tell me that? Why on earth would you think that you have the right to tell me that I can do this or I can't do that or that I should look more like this or I should look more like that? How about because God told me to do it? How about because it says it in His Word that I should do it and then if I don't do that, I will be guilty. I will be held accountable. I will be disciplined by God. And I do not want to be disciplined by God. And so here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to lose my reputation. I'm willing to lose my life. I'm willing to uh, be hated everywhere I go by people who hate God and don't love the message of the cross because God told me to do it. That's why. There's my answer. There's my credentials. This is real. I've been saying that since I got here. I, I, I was telling people in the beginning, guess what will happen when we teach and preach the gospel message? People will come unglued. I can prove it. I can prove it. This is real. And so we have to ask ourselves if we're actually Christians, are we going to support the message, which is the Bible, which is God, or are we going to turn our backs on it? and run away like whipped little children who don't care about their father. Ah, that cuts to the heart, doesn't it? It's because it's meant to. It's designed to. You see, when people don't have a regenerate Christ-loving spirit within them, they will reject any single 
portion of the Bible or any teacher or any preacher that does not give them exactly what they want. Here's what it is. No conviction of sin. No conviction of sin. They don't want that. That's why as we continue in our sermon text to 2 Timothy 4.4, it says, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You see, all of the things that I've been saying would happen are happening in the sermon text. And all of the things that I've been saying would happen as a result of gospel preaching are promised in the sermon text. And then all of the natural outcomes that the Bible says for people who continue to reject the Bible happen. And so here's the question, as we hold uh, what we see in the world against the Bible, as we hold what we witness in our own lives against the Bible, who are we going to believe? The people who hate the Bible or God Himself? Airball. In, in the military, we would say that's like hitting a beach ball with a tennis racket. You don't even have to try. There's, 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 there's literally, there's no skill involved there. You can just guess what's going to happen. If someone throws a giant beach ball at you and you have a tennis racket, you're going to make contact with it. That's the same thing here. Who are you going to believe? Personally, me, how about the God of the universe, the guy who uh, like built things like Einstein? Or the guy who built things like, uh, you know, um, I don't know, Mars. Or the guy who built things like, oh, I don't know, galaxies that we haven't even discovered yet because we don't have the power to look that far into the space that he's actually made. Ah, maybe we should trust that guy. But because we cannot lay our eyes on him, how often do we doubt? How often do we doubt? I'm reminded in my own life, in my own walk of dealing with, with things like being so hated, so despised, and so disgusted that sometimes it feels hard to put one foot in front of the other. And so I feel like uh, there, there's a, a father in the New Testament, he approaches Jesus, his child's possessed, and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me, God, though... This is difficult and it seems impossible and it seems miserable to see you in the midst of this because I love you. Wakeman Congregational Church, are we not seeing this? Have we not seen this? Have we not watched this literally walked out in our own sanctuary, in our own community? There are people who will profess Christianity and spit in the face of Christ Himself when He commands them to do anything that does not conform to their own twisted and biblically distorted concept of love or of unity. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be led away by people who literally profess to not even know or really read the Bible. This is madness, biblically speaking. Now, I want to paint this picture of why this is madness by using a physical analogy. So put yourself in this situation and walk through the reasoning, the underlying spirit. I'll, I'll, I'll even tell you that it's going to be a spiritual analogy to begin with. So put yourself here in this physical analogy. Let us presume that your doctor who studied medicine for years who has successfully performed many surgeries and is very well read in his profession. He, he tells you that you've developed a serious infection in your leg. A serious infection. 
He says that it's come to the point where surgery is actually necessary and for the lack of your desire to have that surgery because of the pain involved, you decide to depart from the presence of your doctor, you walk into the lobby of his practice, and you ask the front desk clerk, Sir, I know that you have zero medical training. I know that you have no surgical experience. I know that you know very little about the human body, medicinal resources, medical equipment, etc. But I would like to get your opinion. The front desk clerk looks at you and says, you know what? You're fine. You're absolutely fine. You know, personally, what I think it is, I think it's just the weather. As soon as it warms up, that terrible limp that you have, it'll go away. The ear is tickled. Ah, new information. Better information by my standard. Now, you're thinking here at this point that your ear has been tickled. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever to listen to the doctor. There's no need to trust him or pay attention to anything that he says. There's no need to believe that he actually cares about you or your well-being or knows anything about your condition. You choose to listen to the clerk and that infection spreads and then it kills you. That's the exact same spiritual reality of people who walk into churches and reject the message of God in their lives and get opinion from people who don't know Him. That's the exact same outcome. Might not be physical death, at least right now, but I can guarantee you if that flight path is continued, it will equate to spiritual death. Spiritual death. That's the exact scenario, spiritually speaking, that true pastors, true preachers, true teachers of the Bible watch transpire in front of them throughout their life and their ministry. That's why it's included in this charge, because literally it's guaranteed to happen. It's promised. God says it's going to happen. God says that's actually part of what's going on. Why would you expect it not to happen? Prepare yourself for these realities. Prepare yourself for this hurt. Prepare yourself for this pain because you will stay up at night. And you will spend many hours wondering why it is the way it is. You're going to spend a lot of time wondering why the message that you're trusted with is guaranteed to cause division. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36. Red letter words, Jesus Christ Himself speaking. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Ah. Hmm. This is very counter to what many think the Gospel actually is. It is something that divides. It's something that literally causes division. Something that causes conviction of sin. Something that exposes the heart of man and lays him open before a holy God. Hebrews 4.12 Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Bible does. That's what the Scripture just says. For the Word of God. Not for the Word of man. Not for the idea of the preacher. Not for his concept, agenda, or opinion. 
The Word of God cuts you open and exposes you before God. That's what does it. It's not the the skillful wielding of the Word of God by man. It's the Word of God. So what are you entrusted with? Obeying it and preaching it and teaching it. Using it even when it's painful. Using it even when people hate you for it. Why? Because in that, you will prove that you are the most loving human being in their life. That you, unlike any other person in their life, their friend circle, or even their own biological family, were willing to step out and be hated by them because you loved their soul so much and they loved it so little. But the exact same charge will be turned against you. Look how unloving he is. Look how unkind he is. Look how uncaring he is about me and my condition or my family or my situation. He's so mean to me. Do you mean that he was mean to you because he just gave you some Bible verses to explain the fact that you're literally fighting against God? You mean that he actually stepped out to try and share with you Scripture so that you might see the Word of God, repent of your sins, and believe? Do you mean that he literally spent all of this time with you in private prayer and in meetings in order that he might instruct you in the things of God and that in itself is unloving? Hmm. Think about what happened when Paul would go into cities and preach. And then he'd do things like upset the religious order. People would lose money. Then they'd want to kill him. Think about it. What happened, uh, I can't remember exactly what city it is. He goes into a city. He starts teaching and preaching the Gospel. Uh, People literally start throwing their idols away. Or in another city, people start throwing their magic books away. And then guess what happens? All the people who make the idols and all the people who make the magic books get really upset because they lost money. Ah, there it is. The financial tie. I love Jesus, but if it hurts my pocketbook, I love my pocketbook. Or I just don't care about Jesus at all. All I care about is, is, is my, my personal feelings and my money. So anything that Jesus has that comes against me and my own, guess what I'm going to do? Turn into Dracula. <sighs> That's the Bible. That is the Bible. And, 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 and that is one of the things that is so lost on our culture. It's so lost on uh, air-quoted American Christianity. People don't realize that. Until you actually start reading the Bible for yourself and then you see, oh wait, yeah, this is the way it's been for 2,000 years. And oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. This is also the way that it was all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden through the prophets of God. The blood of righteous Abel cried out from the ground. Ah, he was considered a prophet. Hmm. So we've got literally the extent of human history where people hate God. And they hate His message. There's a lot of harsh words. Notice, notice I, I, I know it probably feels oppressive. There's a lot of harsh words in here. It's a lot of difficult things to deal with, but guess what? It's the truth. Paul's promising this to people who preach the Gospel. To people who teach the Gospel. To people who want to be involved in Gospel ministry. saying, look, wake up. This is not tiddlywinks and you're not going to get a blue ribbon at the end of this thing. You're going to get things like stripes on your back. 
You're going to get things like beatings. You're going to get things like people trying to come against you or deceive you or, or set you up or malign you or slander you. Every single one of those things has happened to me since I've been here. In six months. I can tell you for a fact that it's true. By people who profess themselves to be Christian. You know the most hateful, wicked things that have been done against myself and my family since I've been here? Has not been by people who do not profess to be Christians. It's by people who profess to be Christians. Wicked, demonic, filth. from people who profess to be Christians. Paul continues his charge to Timothy, his charge to pastors, his charge to those called to the Gospel ministry with this. 2 Timothy 4.5 But you, because of all these things, because of all the madness and all the insanity that you're going to have to endure, be sober in all things, Endure those hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. See why it's a charge? Not a recommendation. Not a suggestion. This is a, hey, this is how things are going to be. So here's what you need to do. Be sober. Be self-controlled. Endure. Do the work that you're called to. Carry this thing out. Finish your ministry well. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24-27. through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, Christians, an imperishable Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So that I will not be disqualified. Let me, let me, let me tell you what would happen in the Olympic Games with boxers. Nine times out of ten, the guy who won was the guy who was alive at the end. Let me tell you about the first guy who ran the, 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 what we would consider the marathon. He died after he delivered the message because he ran so hard for so long. Christianity is not easy, but it's simple. Christianity sometimes is very difficult, but it is not impossible. But it will be impossible if we do not have the Holy Spirit. If we are not regenerate Christians. If we are not reading our Bibles and sitting under the teaching and preaching of the Word. It will be impossible. Tony, I, I want to do everything in my power to support you in your ministry to support you and to support you, Nina, in your combined ministry as a family. I will do everything in my power to encourage you and to uplift you and to help you in this church as long as it stands and as long as this church remains biblical, we will support you and your family and your ministry 
as long as you remain true to the gospel message that has been entrusted to you. So Tony, please join me up here at the bottom. I'm going to ask Jason and John uh, as well to, to come up front. And I want to um, explain the seriousness of this to you. So when, when someone is ordained to the gospel ministry, again, this is not something, um, this is not something that is done uh, with, with any lack of thought, any lack of prayer, uh, any lack of time of observing someone's life, of watching them, of listening to them, of asking them questions, of seeing them uh, grow in Christ's likeness, of grow in their understanding of the Bible, of, of truly exhibiting uh, the qualifications of an elder. Biblically speaking, we derive from our First Timothy and Titus. And so as I look at his life, as, as, as he and I have, have talked over three years now, I have seen time after time after time the marks of what a biblical elder looks like. And so I want to um, lay hands on him and ask you guys to put your hands on him. And we are going to ask for God's blessing in his ministry. Um, and I would also ask you, church, to uplift him and his family, he and his wife, Nina, in your prayers continuously because what they're stepping into is not easy. And what they're stepping into is war and battles that are waging that we can't see with our eyes. There's the ever-present reality of spiritual darkness that is all around us. All around us. So pray that God would protect them, lead them, guide them, undergird them, uh, wrap His arms around them when things are crummy in life and tough in life but that He would give them great joy in Christ and great peace in Christ. And that He would bless them immeasurably in ways that they could never understand. And I do not mean financial. I mean spiritually. Bow with me. Father God, we lift up Tony to You, God. I, I pray, Lord, that as we see tangible evidences of Your call on His life to the Gospel ministry, Father, that You would radically use Him. God, that You would push Him forward in such a way, God, that we can say, look at that man. That man looks like Jesus. God, let it not be about Him. Let it be about Christ in Him. God, that You would move in such a mighty way through the Holy Spirit in His life and His ministry. God, that people would only be able to say, that man knows God. And that God that He knows is real. And I want to know that God because I see it in His life and I see it in His wife and I see it in His family and I see it in what He does and I see it in what He doesn't do. God, that we'd be faithful in our support of Him. God, in prayer be faithful in our support of Him in anything that, that, that we can possibly support Him with or in. God, that we would not fail to lift Him up in our prayers, that we would not fail to um, think about Him, Lord, every time we see in the Scripture a moment of teaching or of preaching or of prayer, God, even if it be in the ministry of Jesus Christ, Father, that we remember the, the burden that He is stepping under, understanding that He is not alone in that, God, You are there. Father, you have provided all things necessary for him in his ministry moving forward. So, Father God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, we, we lift him forward to you, God, ordaining him to the gospel ministry.
thank you for this gift. We thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for my friend. God, that you bless him. Father God, it's in your perfect and holy and precious and mighty and wonderful name we pray. Lord, to do what we ask. Amen. So it's my distinct privilege and honor to present to you the Reverend Mr. God bless you. Uh, in light of the fact that we've had an ordination ceremony today, uh, we won't be singing our final hymn. I know we've taken up a lot of your time, but that being said, uh, do we have any announcements uh, before we close? No announcements. Give me a second. Let me run back up here and grab my Bible. And if any of you were wondering, the benediction that I usually give is out of Jude. This is Jude verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Happy Lord's Day. Go in peace.